Welcome back to the Love Your Story podcast, my beloved audience. How many of you have heard of the term rare faith? There's the simple faith that we have that we know that the sun will rise each morning because we've seen it thousands of times. And then there's the type of faith that makes things happen. Today on the show, I have Leslie Householder. Stay tuned for lots of wisdom from this woman who has the Rare Faith platform where she teaches universal laws. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Leslie is the award-winning international best-selling author of The Jackrabbit Factor, Portal to Genius, and Hidden Treasures. These books are all about how we access heaven's help in our money matters and how this rare faith is the key to making things happen. She has helped people all over the world discover and apply the rare kind of faith that causes powerful life changes. She takes time to help those in her audience crush every challenge, achieve every goal, and vanquish every monster under their beds. She's also, above all, a dedicated wife and mother of seven children, if you can believe that. Yes, she does all of this. Leslie, I'm so excited for our conversation today about universal laws because I'm studying them and I'm studying your work and I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to get even more interesting stuff to work with as we talk today. So welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Thank you so much, Lori. It's great to be here. So first of all, where did you get the term rare faith? Can you share that quote? Sure. So I've been fascinated with the principles and studying them, exercising them teaching them for 20 years now. And it was a few years ago, a friend of mine shared with me a quote by Boyd K. Packer, who encapsulated what I had been trying to put words to all these years. And his quote goes like this. He said, there are two kinds of faith. One of them functions ordinarily in the life of every soul. It is the kind of faith born by experience. It gives us certainty that a new day will dawn that spring will come, that growth will take place. It is the kind of faith that relates us with confidence to that which is scheduled to happen. There is another kind of faith, rare indeed. This is the kind of faith that causes things to happen. It is the kind of faith that is worthy and prepared and unyielding, and it calls forth things that otherwise would not be. It is the kind of faith that moves people. It is the kind of faith that sometimes moves things. It comes by gradual growth. It is a marvelous, even a transcendent power, a power as real and as invisible as electricity. Directed and channeled, it has great effect. When he said it in that way, I thought that's what it is. It's faith, but it's that rare kind of faith. It's rare faith because it's something that we can all develop, but it's not common. How do we get that? Oh my gosh, it sounds so like powerful, like it's the key to um, creation, to becoming who we are as children of God. You know, I mean, how do you get that kind of rare faith? Well, first of all, I think we all have it and we just don't know it. Uh, it, 
and I realized this, if you look back in your life at something that you were really, really, that was really, really important to you that you needed to happen or that you wanted to happen, and then ultimately it did happen, if you wanted to look back on your thought process that brought you from that initial desire or hope to realizing its accomplishment or its, its existence, and you were to pick apart that thought process, you would find this rare faith happening. And so it's, it's not just learning how to do it. It's just becoming conscious of the process so that you can do it intentionally. What's the process? So the process, in a nutshell, is to first see it done on the screen of your mind. And sometimes this is a very formal, intentional exercise that I'll do. I'll close my eyes and I'll just try to envision it done. Like if I'm facing a problem, I try to imagine the problem solved. What does that look like? You know, so many times we're like, oh, I don't like this in my life. I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like that. But we don't take the time to picture what life's going to look like if that was solved. You know, you ask a person, well, what does it look like now that that's resolved? What would that look like? And they draw a blank. Well, this is where we begin that rare faith process is to fill in that blank. What does that look like? And we see it on the screen of our mind and we take the time to just, even if vaguely, vaguely can be enough just to see it done and how that's going to feel. And here's what's happening. Once you can see it on the screen of your mind and, and actually take that time to go through that exercise, your subconscious mind cannot tell the difference between an experience that is real and one that is imagined. I mean, if you think about it, Laura, you go to a movie and if it has a, a, a jump scene, you jump because subconsciously your mind thinks you are in danger. Even when you know that you're not, like, like there's that split second where you're like, oh, that's going to happen, but, and you jump anyway. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Consciously, you know, subconsciously, you can't tell the difference. And so what you're doing when you put that on the screen of your mind of the problem solved on the screen of your mind, and you see it with enough detail that your subconscious mind is tricked into believing it just happened, then you're physiologically going to have a release of endorphins or whatever the chemical is that brings you that sense of, oh, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's great. And once you've felt that, something shifts. It's like, um, and, and I'm going to just kind of skip ahead to one of, the, one of the universal laws that helps a person understand and apply rare faith, and that is named the law of vibration. And it's based on, you know, ninth grade chemistry that says everything is vibrating on a molecular level. If you look at a table under a super microscope, you're going to see atoms and molecules buzzing around and bumping around, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we as physical human beings have a body that is the tool of the mind. And our bodies also on a molecular level are vibrating at a, at a certain rate. Well, when we change the way we feel and we set a new emotion into motion, then that vibration, the, the frequency changes, it shifts. And what that does is it does a couple things. Number one, it changes the way people feel when they're around us. It's, it's something that they pick up on. You've been in a room where someone's angry. They don't even have to tell you they're angry. You can feel it, right? Sure. But it changes the way people respond to you, and it spans time and space. And so it, it, it doesn't even have to be someone in, in the room. It can cause you to think about a person across the country. You know what I mean? It just it transmits the same way a cell phone transmits sig signals. And I, I'm not going to pretend to understand it. I just know that it works, 
and the basic model for how it works is enough for me to see results. And so it does that, but it also moves your thought processes up to a different level of thinking, kind of like a radio broadcast. So if you have a radio in the room and you turn it on and you're hearing country music, if you want to hear classical instead, you're going to have to turn the dial. When you turn the dial, it's changing the frequency of its receiver. And I may not be using the right terms. Okay, this is my ninth grade understanding of these things. But as you turn the dial, it changes the frequency that it picks up on of a radio broadcast and it tunes into classical. Now, the radio didn't suck classical into the room. It didn't create classical music. It just made audible a broadcast that was already existing in the room. When you see the problem solved on the screen of your mind or what that looks like, what you're doing after it's solved, and you see it vividly enough that it causes you to feel differently, even for just a moment, it changes your molecular frequency of vibration and it puts your thoughts onto a different level which is picking up on a new broadcast of ideas of solutions it causes you to think things that you wouldn't have thought had you not done that first do you have to stay in the emotional space where you are feeling the satisfaction and joy or whatever it is you're feeling from having that goal accomplished? Or can you just feel it once and it sets it in motion? Like if Excellent. it's a long-term process. Excellent question. Only once. You really only have to do it once for a moment. It's a pulse of intention for one moment. And that changes your vibration. And as long as you don't revert and choose something to replace that, you can stay there without, that in, without the emotion happening. It, it's like changing the dial is a moment of intention shifting in energy. All you have to do to stay on that frequency is to keep calm. And can you have a lot of different, like say you have more than one thing that you're trying to make happen or create, can you have a bunch of different frequencies going on at the same time regarding different oh, things? Sure, because really, if you look around your life right now, look in the room that you're in right now, everything in the room has its own frequency has its own vibratory state. Okay. So when you, when you imagine a, a piece of your life that you want to shift, you can also think of a different piece of your life to shift in a different way. And the combination of all of it together just becomes your new life experience in time as you apply the rare faith. So people are always talking about, you know, in the buzzword, the buzzword is, you know, is about vibration. Like I, I enjoy pe being around people with that higher vibration or, you know, I don't, my vibration doesn't really connect with this person or that person. And because of an increased understanding about this, you know, things on a molecular level, it's something that certainly makes sense to me, but also something that we're hearing a lot, you know, within the, the coaching realm and the increasing our you know, spiritual sensitivities realm, that kind of thing. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, from an interactive space of just people. Well, first of all, I want to say this because I'm, I don't know, there might be somebody listening to this feeling and thinking the same way that it sounds really, it sounds out there. It sounds new agey. It sounds questionable, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. say, oh, how's your vibration? I kind of got a new frame of reference for that when one of my mentors said, you know, it's just to say I am in a positive vibration just means I feel great. 
it's it, to say I feel great means that you are consciously aware that you're in a positive vibration. If you want to use those terms, and so you can you can also say it's just I've got a feeling about something, and I think most people can relate to that. But when it comes to being out and, and about with people in general, you can go into an elevator. Say you're trying to solve a problem and you don't know how you're going to solve it, and you step into an elevator. And if you're thinking intently about the problem and you're dissecting the problem and you're thinking about the problem, 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 you're going to be on one level of thinking, one frequency of thought. But if before you step into that elevator, you've taken a moment to see it done and expect to find the solution and feel what that's going to feel like to have that breakthrough, and then you step into the elevator, you may feel impelled to say hi to the person next to you. And that person may be someone who will have a conversation with you that introduces you to someone or that leads the way to opening or unlocking that problem for you. But if you're so focused on the problem, you're not going to think to open your mouth and say hi. Or if you're thinking about the problem and the person in the elevator actually could help contribute to increasing your problem, that may be why you say hi to that person. (laughs) You know, you never know. It's just really important to stay at least intentional and focused on what you want to create in your life, what, what's on the other side of those problems. That okay, you're- I like that because that's a conscious choice and, and certainly not habitual. I, I think that we are, the way that we have been created is to focus on the problem or the pain. We spend a lo- have a lot more energy of our minds that are dedicated to those things, but it's done from an evolutionary space of we have to be aware of those things that have hurt us or that have caused us problems so that we don't get killed, you know, so that, so that we can protect ourselves from that. So that negativity bias that we automatically go to is something that we have to be very active and conscious about moving away from, you know, certainly there are those spaces of being, being aware of those things, acknowledging what that problem is and what it creates in our life. But then that consciousness of, Let's look at what I, how I want that to be solved or what that looks like solved or what that feels like solved. And that's what you're talking about. There's rare faith of believing we will get past the problem and what that looks like, focusing there instead of staying in the space of, ah. Yeah. And here's a tip. Here's a tip. We have to deal with our problems. We can't ignore them, right? The tip is to address and deal with your problems unemotionally. Mm. If you don't want to perpetuate or contribute to creating more of them, deal with the problems unemotionally, but add a lot of emotion and excitement and anticipation to the, to the vision of what you want to create instead. Let your emotion go there because where you apply the emotion is what you're going to feed and what's going to grow. And, you know, I think about what Albert Einstein said when he said, uh, the significant problems we face in life cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. And yet that's what we do. So often we are in this place of problem, 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 and we're trying to solve the problem from that mindset that created it or that didn't contribute to moving out of it, I should say. So I I think it's just really important to, like you said, the default is to ruminate about the negative. That's the default because that's the easy thing. And it does take some energy to think consciously and choose different thoughts. But I, I challenge the listeners to experiment with this. Try this in something in something small. Like the next time you've lost your car keys, see yourself holding the keys 
take the time. You're going to think this is, you're going to feel ridiculous doing this the first time, but you see, hold the keys in your hand, in your imagination, involve all the senses you possibly can. Try to convince your subconscious mind that you already have them in your hand and how amazed and grateful you are that, that you found them. Let yourself feel that and then go look for them. And then follow the sparks, right? I'm trying to pay more attention to the sparks that come up as, I, as I'm solving these problems and keeping a, you know, a little journal of the ideas that pop up as I'm trying to stay attuned to the solutions that I'm looking for. And, and Lori, do, do we have time to just really quickly run through some of the things? Because I know people are going to be listening to this and saying, yeah, well, what if it doesn't work? I'd like to just follow up with a couple of the laws that help you think right when that happens so that you can still stay in that flow of things for their best possible outcome. I would love that. Yeah, shoot. So at hiddentreasuresbook.com, you can get a free download of the whole book that talks about these laws. But one of them in the book is called the law of gestation. And so that one talks about how every seed has a finite gestation period. And farmers, for example, know exactly how long to expect a carrot to take, how long it takes to grow a beet, you know, all these things. And our ideas are seeds too. And each idea of what we're trying to create in our life has a gestation period. And so when we do this intentional exercise of seeing what we want accomplished and then applying ourselves to where we feel it, and then we get to work, it's, it's not magic. To me, it's science. You do the thing that's going to help you tune into the ideas that will help you solve that problem through this process. And so once you do that, and if it doesn't happen when you think it should, you remember the law of gestation and you go to gratitude. Because if you go to upset and frustration when it doesn't happen, then you fall off the broadcast that's going to keep you on track. You fall down off of it. And so when it doesn't happen, you remember this. Here's, a, here's a, an analogy that helps me remember to go to gratitude when it doesn't happen. I've, like you said, I've had seven children. And with each one of them, the doctor gives me a due date. That's nothing more than his best guess based on the gestation period of a typical human being embryo seed, right? When 40 weeks is up, if I am not going into labor, I can get upset and frustrated, but it's not because, oh, this baby thing didn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Instead of feeling frustrated that, oh, I guess it didn't work, there's no baby, which is how we approach goals so often, Mm -hmm. you know, because we don't see evidence that what we've done has had any effect then we throw it out. Well, at 40 weeks, even at 41 weeks, I'm not going to be more doubtful about this baby thing. I'm going to feel more anticipation with every moment. The longer it takes, the more anticipating I will get. And when we can approach our goals that way, when it doesn't happen, because honestly, you don't want, you want the baby, you don't want the embryo. Right. So knowing that a seed takes time, then when it doesn't happen at the time you wanted it to, you can say, I'm so glad it didn't because it's not fully formed yet. And I don't want it to show up until it is. That's a great perspective. I like that a lot. Just, but, you know, and again, you're going to faith. You're, you're going back to faith. You're using that faith. And I think that that increased level of faith, and of course, gratitude, because that's powerful all on its own, is amplifies the process, I suspect. Yeah. And, and one of the laws called the perpetual transmutation, it's one of the first that gets talked about in the book. That's one of my favorites because it explains what's happening when you do this visualization process and how the evidence doesn't show up until the very end of the process. 
but understanding the law of perpetual transmutation helps me believe that things are happening that I can't see. So what is, what is that law exactly? Okay. The law of perpetual transmutation, it's just a fancy way of saying that everything is either coming into physical form or going out of it. Take water, for example. Water can go from invisible humidity or vapor in the air to visible clouds to tangible rain or something as solid as ice. At any point during the water's transformation, the process can reverse. A cloud does not necessarily turn into rain. Sometimes it disappears again into the clear blue sky. Rainfall doesn't always turn to ice. Sometimes it simply evaporates again and disappears into the air. And so when we have an idea that we want to come to fruition, we have to remember that it's going to take a process going from nothing to an idea to being created, I believe, in a spiritual form first before it can ever become a physical form. And by our belief, that process continues. By our doubt, it reverses just like a cloud can. And so knowing that it's got to go from start to end before I see evidence, it helps me hold on faith through the invisible times. How did you come to understand or let's say even find these universal laws? When my husband and I first got married, we were having a real hard time making ends meet. We were young. Uh, we were not prepared financially to be independent. And so we were working a lot of jobs. We were doing janitorial work in the middle of the night. We were going to school, just really having a hard time getting in front of it. We were also trying to build a side business, hoping that that would make uh, a difference. And as part of that, we were attending seminars regularly for personal development, business development, anything that would help us figure out how people would achieve goals that we were not doing very well at achieving. And so through all this, we were going to all these seminars. I counted it up once and we attended more than a hundred. Knowing, you know, each time we would get something, we would get a nugget that would help us. And we're like, oh, that's the key. And then two weeks later, we were back in, in desperation again. Uh, like that didn't work. And, and just putting it together was not working. So finally, after about seven years of this, uh, another event came along. And this one was going to be a big deal up in another state. and something inside me said I needed to go to that. And I was so tired. <laughs> I was so tired of hearing, think positive, dream big. Yeah, 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 whatever. You know, I was just so frustrated that none of that was ever work was working for us. And so I told my husband, all right, honey, this is the last one. This is the last, I can't justify the expense of doing these things when we don't have groceries. We're up to our ears in debt, you know, and our car is falling apart and I just can't do this anymore. And so I agreed to go to that last one. It was at that last one that there was a guest speaker by the name of Bob Proctor, who is a teacher trainer of these principles. And he shared them with us in a way that made sense. He was saying the same things that everybody else had kind of been saying those seven years, but the way he said it made sense to me. And it was at that event that we had our big epiphany, the both of us, we looked at each other, our mouths dropped open, we're like, that's all it is. And suddenly we could do it. We understood it and within three months tripled our income. And so after that, I went and trained with that instructor to facilitate his programs. And so I went to Bob Proctor's training. I learned to teach what he taught. And then from there, I was, you know, at the time had five kids, one on the way. It was not easy putting events together, but I felt guilty not sharing what we had learned. So I thought I got, I've got to write a book that explains this, that will help people while I'm just being mom at home. 
And so that's where Hidden Treasures book came from. That's where The Jackrabbit Factor came from. Those are books that share stories that help you understand how these principles work and how to apply them. So his work is about the universal laws? Yes, he, had a, he did a class called The Science of Rich based on a book by Wallace Waddles from over 100 years ago. Um, in the 1800s, Wallace Waddles wrote a book called The Science of Getting Rich. Bob Proctor taught a seminar based on that book, and that was what I was trained to facilitate. And it was through that training that he shared with me the seven laws that are discussed in Hidden Treasures. And he, you know, it's, it's interesting because these principles have been around for millennia. <laughs> and he said he would be the first to tell you that he didn't invent them. He got them from someone who taught him. People who have learned them and practiced them and realized that it actually works have found their own ways to try to explain them because it's, it's a little tough to explain. To me, that creates a lot of credibility, the longevity of, because a universal law is a universal law would have been around forever, like gravity. Exactly. Okay. So how have you tested these universal laws? Just real quick. Sure. Um, So my first experiment with them was that I wanted a headboard for one of the beds in our home and I couldn't afford it, didn't have extra to spend on it. But I imagined what that room would look like feeling complete with a headboard. I mean, it's just a silly little thing, right? But one day after having gone through that exercise, I was riding into town and I had a thought to turn left instead of go straight, which was at an intersection where it kind of circled around and it didn't matter. They both got you where you needed to go. And so I turned left that day and I drove down this hill and came up over a bend and and out to the side of the road was this giant wooden chunky headboard and footboard out for the trash. And I pulled over and I went to the door. I said, are you getting rid of that? And she says, yeah. And I think she was worried that it was too big for the trash to pick up. And I said, could I have it? And she says, sure. And so I threw my arms around her, not, not because I cared that much about a, a headboard and footboard, but because that told me, oh my gosh, there is something to this. And since I, I then, love that story. Yeah, I want more of those stories because <laughs> they're magic. I talk all the time about um, serendipity and the magic yeah. that shows up. And, and I love those because it, it's just so, it just makes you feel like you're not alone. Like there's, yeah. you know, there, you're being watched over. There's powers beyond what you understand. Oh, I love, I love those. I call that unseen help. I am a firm believer that there is unseen help. And It's more ready and available to help us than we know. And it's there for us as we believe. It's the belief that that allows that help to happen. I I I have oh I have so many stories. I just don't even know. (laughs) But it's the little things. It's the little things and we've used it for the big things. We've we used it to have miracles in the house that we were looking for. One month we had no paycheck in sight. We were at the end of everything. This was during the recession. We were having a real rough time during the the recession. My husband didn't have a job. We had $15,000 due in two weeks on bills on real estate that was vacant, that wasn't selling, that we were paying mortgages on. It was, it was crazy. And we didn't know how, we didn't know how we were going to get through the week, but we decided, you know what? I don't know how we're going to even get through the year, but do you think we'll have it figured out in 10 years? And we're like, yeah, we'll have it figured out in 10 years. And so I'm like, well, then let's talk about that. We have to build a picture of what we're going to be doing in 10 years because that's how far out we had to go to believe that things could be okay in our, in our mind. Mm-hmm. And so we imagined what we'd be doing in 10 years. We figured out how the kids would be. We figured out uh, what we'd be doing for, for our, would we still be teaching this stuff? Yes, because it, it's what we do. And we'd be in our own home again. And we'd be just building everything that we wanted to be doing 10 years from then. And we felt different by the end of that conversation. We were actually out to dinner. 
I got a $2 soup. It was our anniversary. And we're like, you know what? We haven't let ourselves eat out for a year for our anniversary. Can we just go pretend like everything's okay for two hours and imagine how it's going to look when these problems are solved? Yeah, let's do that. So it was at the end of that dinner. I pay, we paid the bill. We're walking out to the car and the waiter comes running after us. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And we turn around and he says, because it's your anniversary, the meal's on us. And this was after we'd already paid the bill. And this was, they had voided the bill after we'd already paid it and ran out to tell us. And it was in that moment, we looked at each other and we're like, we have got to stay in this mindset of seeing things solved. And, you know, that didn't solve the problem, but it gave us that tender mercy, that dose of hope. And by the end of that month, we had generated $45,000 in other ways that we didn't originally have any clue where the money would come from. Congratulations. That's a win. Well, and it was, <laughs> it was, and it was out of that experience that my third book, Portal to Genius, was written. It was because of that experience. You know, one of the things, there have been so many great things in this episode, but one of the things that um, I hadn't really picked up on before when you and I've talked and when you have taught is this idea of just having the faith that part of this faith process is just believing that you are being guided and led, right? Like the, the little nuggets of hope are absolutely tender mercies because they, they keep your chin up, right? You don't feel like you're alone, you you know, but there's so much walking into the dark that we do as we learn to develop faith. And this idea that we are being guided, that there is purpose to the things we're learning, that, that it's more than just life being a crazy mix-up of this, that, and the other, that there's actually purpose in the things that are happening to us. And that having that inform and strengthen you rather than um, feeling forlorn about the, the craziness of it all. Yeah. And through all this, and like I said, I've been, I've been studying and practicing these principles for 20 years now. I just want to add that the principles like gravity, you know, gravity is a law that doesn't discern who should get gravity, right? These laws are the same way. In other words, you can use these principles for stupid goals. You can achieve goals that you'll regret using these principles. And I have. And so I would just encourage everyone to approach this with the mindset and intention that these principles are here for us to understand, learn, and practice, ideally for the purpose of solving life's challenges, yes, but also to find and fulfill our life's purpose. Whatever obstacles are in the way of helping us identify what contribution we can make to lift society, to help others, whatever we can do with that, using these principles, you'll be able to finish up your life with no regrets and having accomplished a lot of great and miraculous things. I think it's also to help us advance spiritually. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, how much faith does it take to believe that spiritually we, we can be okay in spite of ourselves? <laughs> you know oh, I, mean? I have loved our conversation. How do you help people learn these? And where can they find you if they want to work with you or want more information or want your books? My website is rarefaith.com. It's actually .com and .org. It, it will direct people to .org. R-A-R-E-F is in Frank, A-I-T-H.org, rarefaith.org. And can they get your books on that website? Yeah, there's links to the bottom to all the free stuff. I've got a lot of free stuff on there because, you know, it's my purpose and mission to help people understand these principles as easily as possible. And you have workshops? 
I do. I do. We do something called Genius Boot Camp based on the principles in Portal to Genius, which was my third book. It's, a, it's about coming and bringing a problem to solve. And then during those three days, we help you get into that mindset and that headspace to tune into the, the thoughts and ideas that you wouldn't have been able to even think of without doing these, this process. So I will have all of Leslie's contact information and links on the show notes on loveyourstorypodcast.com. Uh, Leslie, in closing, any other final thoughts? on what you do, on rare faith, on any of this that you just want to leave with the listeners? Oh, yeah. You know what? Something brand new, and you're, you're actually the first person to publicly hear about this, that we've developed something called the Mindset Quotient Test that is like, you know, you've heard of the IQ test, you've heard of the EQ, Emotional Quotient Test. This is the Mindset Quotient Test that helps you identify your thinking patterns and helps you see where you can make those adjustments. I told you, you know, earlier about when things are hard, I was naturally inclined to wonder, well, how am I supposed to think about this? This is a test that helps teach you the different levels of thinking. In fact, we've quantified the levels of thinking that human beings typically pass through during the course of their life when they choose a path to figure these things out. It's, it's like there's a progression that goes on. And so it, the, the test helps you figure that out, where you're at and where you can improve. And that is at mindsetquotienttest.com. Thank you very much. Well, we appreciate you being here today, Leslie. Thank you, Lori. It's been fun. laws of the universe that we are familiar with, like the one we were talking about earlier, the law of gravity. We know it works whether we believe in it or not. Well, it makes sense that the other laws of the universe work the same way. They're laws. They work. If we believe in them and use them, we can develop them. And if we don't, they're still going to play out the way that they play out. It makes sense to me that the laws were put in place to govern the unfolding of the seasons, the circle of life, the earth on its track in the universe. So why wouldn't God have also put into place laws that determined outcomes for his children, his other creations, laws that, like science and physics, are consistent? These are the laws we talked about today. How powerful would it be if we came to truly understand, practice, and create with these laws. It's an exciting concept, and I hope you got something wonderful out of listening to Leslie today. She has some amazing work, and all of her books are free downloads from her site. You can also buy hard copies if you want them, but I have read all of them, and they're just, um, she does a fantastic job. Highly suggest it. Share this episode with someone who would find it interesting. Sharing a podcast episode is just super easy, and it's also a random act of kindness. You know, it's a program that's empowering and uplifting, and when you copy that link and share it on somebody else's page or on your page or send it in a message, send it in an email, you've given somebody a special gift and all it took was a couple clicks. So share it. Thanks for being here. Remember, you've always got the Love Your Story podcast website, which is loveyourstorypodcast.com where you can get links to all the past episodes for listening to or sharing. You can order your Love Your Story t-shirts and you can find a link to buy my book, Life, Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day, The 21 Life Connection Challenges. Isn't that the longest title ever? <laughs> but it is, it is what it is. All those things need to be said. You can also find the new program that I implemented this year, which is called Tell Your Story, where you can start to get your own life story and your life history recorded in an audio format. 
information about all of that on the website. I'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for being here.